you should not be planning the way that you work and, and you should not be defining your process around a tool. The tool should be defined around how you work and what your process is. And it should be defined in a flexible enough way where you can actually do that in creating your own habits. Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Style Notes. Tonight, I have Jessica Wolf with me. Jessica, thank you for taking, for you and Archer for taking time out of your evening. Luckily, he's gladly sleeping. Thank you for having us. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, Archer's a dog, not some person that's sleeping on Jessica's floor. Um, and he's <laughs> unconscious, so he won't be contributing much. Um, but we're going to talk about tooling, but from a different perspective than we've covered it before. And rather than kind of doing the normal intro stuff, we're just going to start out with Jessica telling a story. So, Jessica, what's the story? Oh, so, how did this start for me? Um, I was actually uh, working at a large cybersecurity company as an agile coach, and I had a one-on-one with our CEO. And it was interesting because I wanted to understand the problem he needed to have solved. And actually, this is the same problem that we're seeing across all of our engagements uh, that we actually go in and solve, which is pretty cool. So it's kind of circling back to where it started. So what he said to me is, you know, I don't understand what the teams are working on. And it's not a micromanagement thing. It's more along the lines of I have a strategic roadmap. I don't know how we're delivering to that strategy. You know, we're, we're coming up with marketing launches and we want to make sure that we can actually do the things that we're telling the public that we're going to do when we say we're going to do it. And I don't know how we're tracking towards that. So this is a big problem that is actually happening everywhere we go. Um, it's one thing to say, you know, we have stable teams, well-formed backlogs and working tested software, right? Right. But then, Right, but it's another thing to get there, right? So from a team perspective to say, okay, we can do this um, with Post-its and a whiteboard and we can track uh, metrics in an Excel spreadsheet, totally fine with that from a team perspective. But when we're looking at how things are funded and who's going to pay for it, how do you connect to the strategy? That's the problem that tooling is looking to solve. So. so can I interrupt and ask, is this a problem that they had before trying to switch over to Agile? Like this is something they couldn't figure out under Waterfall either, or did they have either the actual understanding or the perception of the understanding when they were using Waterfall that they could see that stuff? They were never Waterfall. They oh. went from a startup okay. uh, to, to needing to get more organized. They went from being able to operate, I, this is my product, and I have these things I'm delivering. Very easy to see that. But now we have three or four products okay. and we have uh, strategic initiatives across the company and um, we have people who are looking at those things who are sitting on our board how do we tell them the, what we're trying to do because this is becoming bigger than it was to manage in someone's basement now did they have traceability from like the strategic initiatives down to the story level or was it just like we want these big things to happen product owner go figure this out now, knowing that it's a large cybersecurity company, it was very much architect to go figure these things out. Okay. So they had this strategy, but then the team was delivering work that we thought probably 
went with that strategy, but how do we know how much is going to that strategy? Also, we weren't able to track our strategic initiatives. So like we had multiple strategic initiatives. How are we able to understand the amount of work that is happening under that initiative? Because we're funding that initiative. We have a certain dollar sign that's on it. And if we can't track how much works under it, how do we know if we're on track from a finance perspective and a finance forecast around that area? Okay. So there's no way of measuring pretty much anything other than we know we want this thing to happen. So how do they how do they go about fixing it? So going about fixing it started to happen while I was there. And then after I left, continued to happen under the discussion of their product team. Uh, the problem wasn't necessarily the tool. The tool was set up so this way they could actually do it. So we actually looked at, hey, what is happening here? Let's look at, and they were using version one. Let's look at version one and actually set it up so this way we can go from, we can set up our themes and see everything across those lines and understand uh, CapEx, OpEx, and every other uh, different theme that we want to look at. But what happens at most companies that are very tech focused, they start to look at components of a system. Yeah. And they break, instead of breaking up into features, that can be independently delivered. They break it up into these components that you can't really deliver by themselves. Okay. So this and is going to give them the ability to see that more, more clearly or, or figure out how to address right. it? Right. Okay. Exactly. Yep. So think about it this way. If you can't see it, does it exist? Yes. And somebody is blindly funding it. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> So thinking about from that perspective, and I know that we have a lot of Agile coaches out there who say, you know, why do we need to show all this information in a tool? And why do we need to do this? And if you're, if you're working in a company that's small enough that that makes sense, okay. I, I say stick with your post-its and because there's nothing like actually going to a, a, a manual board and moving a post-it from uh, in progress done. There is nothing like that. But when it comes to a larger organization that has sometimes hundreds of initiatives that they're working yeah. on, they're that large. They almost have many companies within companies, right? Yeah. It's almost impossible to work in that way because we need to understand if we're making the right financial decisions from the top layer down. So we can't say you're executive or VP, you're blind to what we're doing. Just trust us because we need to understand how much work is in each initiative. Also, what we need to understand is how much is uh, just operational? How much is business as usual? Because if most of our time's going to BAU, maybe there's ways that we can actually create initiatives to figure out how to solve that problem if it's taking up that much of our capacity. But if we don't know it, how do we know to solve that problem? Okay, so can I ask you a bunch of simple questions that hopefully will get me into the same place that you are? Because I'm still, I've got a bunch of questions about it. Is that okay? Okay. So I'm an executive, let's say, and I've got this strategic thing I want to have happen. And I've asked some architect or whomever to find a way to make it happen. So they come up with this product idea. There's a bunch of features. We give them to a bunch of teams. We fund a team. We say, hey, go build this stuff. And they start working their way through the product backlog. And if I'm coming at it from just a straight up scrum perspective, I'm expecting that the person who's playing the role of product owner is ordering that product backlog so that we're delivering these features in whatever way is going to provide the most value for the customer as we go. Whether or not we can release all those things at once or not till the end, we would figure that part out later. But um, that doesn't Let me stop you there. Okay. Whether or not you can uh, release these things all at 
at once. We'll figure that out later. That's actually a problem. Uh, but let's circle back to that. I wanted to stop you there so this way we can come back. Well, it, it probably going. is tying into where <laughs> I was going to go next. So, so I know that I'm funding a team, but I don't have any sense of the work in terms of what value, financial value it's providing or what kind of return it's expected to provide or how much of the spend is actually creating you know, what percent of this thing I'm supposed to be able to deliver. It's almost like traditional project management in some respects or, or a desire for those kinds of metrics, right? Right. Well, if you think about it, you're funding the team, but you also need to understand how much, if, like if I'm a product owner, I know my team's funded. I know uh, how much it costs for that team. I understand the team's velocity. I understand how much um, we can do in a sprint. So I know how much a sprint costs. Now from there, I can break that cost up by the story points and understand how that rolls up to my strategic initiatives. Okay, so this is a scary place for me right now because you're just talking about points and costs. So does that mean that the people upstairs are then going to have an understanding at a team level of how much a point costs for them? Yes. If I'm a product owner, I want to understand how much every point is going to cost me. I also want to understand of the things. So I have a capacity of, let's say, um, I'm just going to keep it simple, 100 yeah. hours a week, 13, right? Okay. But I know that for our team, our capacity is actually going to be around for the product work. Right. Probably half of that, right? So our story points are reflective in that. I understand that, so if I'm looking at all of that work, if the other work I'm doing isn't visible, I'm assuming it's costing me that much for that work. Okay. So I'm going to, and I might cut this part out of the interview. I'm going to go down this path anyway and see what happens. Um, okay. <laughs> I had, uh, I worked with a client a long time ago and they got to that point where they figured out the burn rate for a team and you know what the team's average velocity was and they decided that the rest of the organization was expected to do the same thing but mm. what happened was they started to take in work from the outside and they would say to a product owner here is a one million dollar project that's how much money you have to spend so that equals this many points and you can grow or shrink the product backlog however you want but it can never exceed this many points so does that mean in this case that we're going to have like a cutoff line or anything that drops below the certain point, we're just going to assume that that's not going to happen from a cost perspective as well as a velocity perspective? I don't know if I would do it that way. Okay. I mean, I feel like this is something uh, to really answer this question. I would bring in Paul, our finance guy, right? Okay. Um, okay. But I'm going to go ahead and give it a little bit of a try, right? So I think that let's start with the first part. If we're looking at the burn rate of a team and we're expecting every team to operate exactly the same way. Which is scary to begin we, with. We've failed our client if that's what they think is correct. Okay. Because it's not. Every team, so so if we have a burn rate, um, but then we have a whole bunch of defects we're working on, which we haven't story pointed, uh, we need to understand the percentage of backlog. So the number of items that we're working on in that sprint according to in comparison to what's being pointed, we need to understand how it's affecting our capacity because we need to solve that problem. Every team's different. And I would say at a moment in history, those teams might be different within their own uh, uh, path forward. Okay. So it's not, as we know, every team isn't going to have the same uh, velocity uh, right. or, sh or should I say the same story points every single sprint, you know, people go on vacation, there there's things that happen. Um, 
so I think that going about it from that perspective is wrong. Okay. It's more the average roll up. So if I say that for an initiative, um, we know that we have these teams that are working towards this initiative. We're going to say team A, team B, team C, and team D. Okay. And, um, just to keep it simple, um, team A, um, I would say is one X team two is two X team three is like 1.5 X. Um, and team four is we'll say one X. So we've got two teams that are a little bit, uh, more, uh, this is, I almost said a bad term, but more, um, they can crank stuff out a little bit more than the rest it might be because <laughs> of their capabilities, um, whatever. And then there's nothing wrong with any of those scenarios. Okay. But if I know that that's how things are being funded and I'm going to um, assign features or, you know, say, hey, the, the, this team's going to uh, be responsible for this feature, this team, and so forth, that yeah. I understand that something um, that might be bigger, um, maybe I'm going to put it with the team that can roll it out a little bit faster, right? I know that I can count on them uh, to be predictable in that perspective. Um, now there could be hiccups. There, we may need to reevaluate our plan, but understanding the capacity is so important, right? Um, so then from there, um, I, I'm giving an estimate on each of those features. I kind of have a, I would say, a size of what I think that they're going to be. And uh, we go from there. Okay. Um, and then when you roll that up, it's the same way. So, you know, there's different well, ways on, to hold on, look hold on. I want to ask some questions yep. about capacity. So when you're talking about capacity, I, I just want to get some clarity on what what we're talking about there. So when I'm like I was teaching today and I showed them how to figure out how a team can start to understand their capacity of work in terms of hours, but you're talking about capacity in terms of like average historical velocity, correct? Yeah, but there's more to it. I'm glad that you asked that. So um, when we say roll up of story points, we know that there's a dollar for every story point depending on the team that's delivering it. Yes. Okay. Uh, we also look at uh, relative estimates in a different way coming from top down too, right? In the form of swag. Okay. So let me, I want to try to dumb this down again for a second. So I've got a bunch of work that could be done by any one of the four teams you mentioned above. We've got, you know, teams A through D, um, team A and D are working at almost the same pace. Team B is working twice the pace of the other teams and C is one and a half times that. So then I can look at the size of this work and based on how fast I need this thing to be in the marketplace, I can decide where I want this work to be funneled down to, which team I'd like to work on it based on maybe even using stuff like cost of delay to try to figure out what's the, the best or the optimum solution for getting this work done. Is that right so far? Yes. Okay. So for that to happen, somebody at the top level is going to have to be sizing this work. And I want to just walk through this and see if I'm in the right place. So let's say that you are the executive and you are looking at this work and coming up with your own estimate as to the size, like separate from the team or teams. We could then track how the team size the work when it flows down to them and track the variance between your estimate and their estimates and use that to get some sort of better understanding of what your bets mean for them. Almost, but not. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so at, at the epic level, so we're looking at a strategy, right, at, at the highest level. And we're going to say that I want to put a million dollars on this initiative. And we're going to see how it all breaks down. So 
So as the portfolio team, um, and we're talking about a larger organization, this isn't, you know, just one product, one team. Right. Um, I mean, portfolio this is level more, planning. We're right. About. Right. So those of you who are doing the smaller stuff, um, this might be what you're looking at in your future. So now what we're saying is that strategy, we need to get with our portfolio team to see how that breaks down across our product suite, right? Okay. Or across our capabilities, right? Um, so from there, we need to break it out into epics. And our epics, initially we define it, and then we go into solution um, definition okay. and understand the solution. I'm not gonna really be able to size it until I really define that solution and who needs to be involved in that. Everybody who's gonna be delivering it. So it's a combined effort. We're orchestrating at a high level all of the different dependencies okay. uh, within the organization at that epic layer because we need to understand what's happening. And that's where you might see spikes come in. Um, the spikes being that, you know, we might need to prototype something yeah. and, and test it or and, at that point too, we might say, well, we have a hypothesis because that we want to test because this this thing, that, this value that we're defining in this epic, you know, this might actually not, we're not sure what's going to happen. We have some risk involved. So let's actually test it out and see what we find from that before we put a million dollars into this. We might spend 10,000 on testing it, um, that risk and decide we're not going to move forward with this and we've just saved the company what nine hundred ninety thousand okay. dollars right on on that particular thing or take out a piece of it or change or pivot um if okay. we test it and it worked out gloriously then yes it was well spent so you were talking about capacity a few minutes ago so that's one thing we have mm -hmm. to understand now you're talking about risk does that mean that we're going to have some kind of way of of measuring the risk or, or creating a backlog and prioritizing risks and things like that? Absolutely. You know, at that level, when we're um, doing solution design, we really need uh, to understand the risk of that particular area. So within our governance model, we do a risk assessment um, okay. in the different areas of risk. Can you talk about how you, how you would be looking at risk? I mean, my, my background, traditional project management, I'm accustomed to things like a risk register and stuff like that, but it sounds to me like you're probably talking about it differently than I'm accustomed to thinking about it. So can you kind of walk me through that? Right. Um, wow, we're going on a different tangent, but we can definitely do it. So when we look at risk, there's obviously we want to do it early and we want to do it often. And it's so much more than a risk register. Uh, so we have different drivers that we want to look at when it comes to this. So one of the drivers is business. We want to understand clarity of scope, uh, technical. You know, is this a technology? Um, is this a technology our architecture actually supports? We need to get architecture involved. Is this a new technology that we want to uh, do a shelf set or a hello world to see if we can even compile it within our existing framework? Um, verification and validation. Can we get effective uh, verification and validation to highlight when we should address the risks? Um, not only that. Can we verify that um, the solution that we are trying to deliver um, is actually something that we've delivered in the end? So great, we get this epic to the point of being um, in production. Now we need to validate that that solution is actually uh, something that we have delivered. Did we meet the success criteria of that epic? 
uh, at that higher level. This is about learning, right? right. So it's not necessarily wrong if we haven't, but we need to learn from what we've delivered. We need to learn about our customers and who is going to be using this. We need to learn about the market and how they react to it, right? So there's things that we wanna learn about that. And if there's any risk to that learning, we need to address it uh, initially. Okay, so you were saying this was a different tangent. In my brain, they're the same. We're headed down the same path because we are. So these are things that, like when I'm, you know, teaching a CSM class today, they're not going to get this kind of stuff out of the box with Scrum. But in a larger, more complex organization, you want this kind of stuff, and there doesn't, there's not a ready place in something like Scrum, like out of the gate, where you can capture this. So to me, this is kind of going back to the tooling thing in that. Like, how am I going to capture this stuff and where is it going to go? Because it, it's fine to say we need it, but what, like, do I want to have like 10 different Excel spreadsheets with all this stuff written down and I've got to compile them and figure out what is what? Or how does it work? <laughs> That's so funny. Before we move into that, there's two more risk drivers that I just didn't want to go about that. So <laughs> yeah, make it more complex. Let's make it really right. hard. Go ahead. Organizational, do we have what we need? People, um, that can actually deliver the product. Um, we need to look at if we don't have what we need, do we need to outsource it? How much yeah. would it cost to do that, right? Okay. Um, and then dependency, um, internal and external dependencies at that level. But to go back to your uh, the question that you just asked, yes, um, this is almost impossible to do without a tool. Because if you have a tool that's set up that can actually do this for you, that in itself is going to reduce your costs and overhead in your organization because you're going to have easier access to metrics and you're going to have visibility from the top down from your strategic initiative throughout how that's actually tracking in your company. Okay. So if you if you're not doing that in the tool and you're actually successfully doing it outside of the tool, bravo. But how much does it cost? Are you able to get the information you need at the time you need it? Okay. So can I buy an argument now? Oh, yeah. All right. So one of the things that, you know, I'm, I'm teaching in the classes I'm doing is with the reporting and the tracking, we're trying to make it lightweight. We're trying to make it simple, easy to manage. This is what you're talking about is stuff that I understand the business need for, but who's going to do this work? Because I don't want this to be something the team is going to take on because it's going to suck up time they could be building stuff with. Right. And that's the job of your portfolio team and your product team at the higher level. You know, they need to be able to define these initiatives in a way that they can be easily broken down into epics, that those can be easily broken down in the features and the features can be easily broken down in the stories. So the group that you're talking to um, who are operating at the scrum delivery level, they're operating at the story feature level. Okay. If we're asking them to have metrics at that higher level, I think that's unrealistic. Okay, so this also now, but, sound, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I'm going to say, but the data that they're capturing in the system rolls up that okay. way. So it's, it's not efficient for them to not capture the data. And that's okay. something that we've built into the tools as well. So when we say that a story has met ready, right, the definition of ready means that you need to have story points. You need to have acceptance criteria, right? Yeah. You, so from that standpoint, we, for instance, in JIRA, we've made it so those are actually required on a story. You can't move out into ready until you have those things. And this helps train them at that level. Oh yeah, that's right. I need to put story points on this, right? Because well, as part of my product backlog refinement, we should have had this discussion before we move it to ready. 
Okay, so now I'm excited about two different things that I'm going to ask, and they're both going to be tangents. But um, let's start with the ready thing. So this is I, I, this is not something that I I have done before, but you can build into the tool definition of ready, and I'm assuming a definition of done as well. And then the teams have that all in one place, and they can all understand that. And it's almost like a stage gate of moving something from one state to another, right? Yes, that's a nice way of putting it. So we can create, so this way things, like you need to have certain elements uh, and data in the system before you can move a work item forward. Okay, so now to the other thing that I was excited about a few minutes ago, it, and I'm saying this with my project manager hat on, it sounds like there's something for the poor people in the PMO to do now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yay! They get to keep but, their jobs. Right. And <laughs> here's, here's the key about it, right? We're not looking at it from a project manager. I hate the word project. Well, I, when I say, so let me, let, me, <laughs> let me back up a little bit. So when I say the PMO, I'm thinking of a group of people that up until the, they started to do Agile thought they were there for governance and making sure that people were doing all the things the right way. And they would take the outputs of these teams and try to create some kind of consolidated picture for management of what was actually going on. But when I get them now, they're like, I have a Gantt chart over here and a burn down chart over here, and I don't know how to tell people upstairs what's happening. Right. But this is and a way they, this would be value that they could add. They could look at all these different things and put them together in a way that would tell a story to the people upstairs. Absolutely. And, you know, you bring up such a uh, an ideal topic, and it goes back to the problem we initially defined. And a lot of times when people first go agile, they think we can work exactly how we want to. We don't have to tell anybody anything. We yeah. can just do what we want, and we're, and we're doing Scrum, and we're pushing out a whole bunch of story points, and you can know that we're doing 50 story points every sprint and that's all you need to know because you can count on us right wrong um <laughs> because i need to understand what work is being delivered that goes towards our product roadmap what goes towards our uh our strategy as a business our strategy as a product we need to understand how that's working so this way we can understand if we're going to meet those things we also want to see what's happening right so um we need that feedback to see if we need to adjust our strategy, adjust our roadmap. There, there, it's, it's not waterfall, right? It's not the blind over here and the blind yeah, over here, yeah. right? Um, and a lot of times when people first go, let's do this agile scrum thing, you're missing the piece between the middle. You still have people who are funding millions and millions of dollars right. into the company. And that's important. You don't want to waste that money. So there's still the need to tie though that money at the top to what you're delivering you so can't think, just say you're blind now well and, and a lot of places do make an assumption that if the po understands the company strategy that they're going to make the right choices and the team's going to deliver the stuff and the value will just automatically come when we push it out the door but if there's no way of tracking how we're progressing towards that it does increase the company's risk and the company's uncertainty about what's working and what's not they won't know what bets to stop placing and what things to keep funding right exactly okay so how do you when, when you're talking with folks about this stuff um, I can see where the idea of all these metrics would be very enticing you were talking about understanding how much value stuff is going to provide how do you explain to them 
the benefit, the, the financial benefit of putting the money into this or the risk that they're at if they don't put the money in this. Because funding tooling is also something that they've got to take on as an effort. Yeah, so it goes back to how much does it cost you today to do it? And that's, it's, sometimes it might be hard for you to figure that out, but think about how long it takes you to get that information. Who actually has to put that information together? What overhead is it for them to fill out that spreadsheet and get that data? Well, or they're not tracking it at all. Right. Also, how do you know that your strategy is being met? And maybe a discussion with somebody is, is enough. Um, and I'm not going to argue that, um, maybe looking at what the team's doing in a demo is enough. I won't argue that either, but what happens when the commitments aren't met and we didn't have a leading indicator into it. So are you talking about lagging indicators as well, where we put it out there and we see how it actually performs and that feeds back as well? Yeah, I mean, we're talking about leading and lagging, you know, without getting too rudimentary and um, about the definitions of those things. It's look, I, I want to try to stay on common sense <laughs> here. You know, I, I know that I need something done. You know, I'm going to go build a house, right? Right. I'm just going to tell everybody to go and just let me know when you're done. No, <laughs> I need to understand how you're tracking. I need to understand if there's risks that, you know, is there a hurricane coming? Things like that. So I, I need to understand um, what risks are in the system to that will um, inhibit our delivery. We need I, to reduce those delivery risks. I think the way that you said is what risks are in the system is important because it does it does help you understand how the company itself is in a position of risk based on the fact that it's funding these different things. We don't know always mm-hmm. how things are going to turn out, but the more clarity we can get on how they seem to be performing might not answer whether or not they're going to actually deliver the thing in the end, but it is a way of assessing our performance, right? Right. And it's a way of assessing not just our performance, but um, our, our next bet, right? So if we know that there's risk in some item, we want to be able to mitigate that risk if possible or accept that, that risk is going to happen and learn from it, whether it's good or bad. Uh, it's not enough to just ignore it. You can't do that. You, you, you're really failing the system if you're just trying to ignore those things. And um, we need to make the risks visible as well. Okay. They should absolutely be in the tool and they should be tied to our epics for sure. Um, Go ahead. So when you're, <laughs> when you're talking with people about this, like what, what people in the organization are you having these conversations with? Because I can see where this would be interesting to a lot of folks, especially like as you know, the PMO folks or management, but if they want to start to bring this stuff into play, like who's who's having the conversations about this? Usually uh, our management consultants and our uh, senior consultants, they start the conversation and get the people together that need to discuss it. So for instance, next week I'm going to a client where we're gonna look at portfolio for JIRA and how you do these things from that level. So it's the product team, it's the portfolio team um, that we want to help them understand at that higher level um, how you, not only the reasons why you do it, but how you do it in the system and the way that you can easily find the information so there isn't as much overhead for you. And so we're looking at that and we're looking at how to do risks in the system as well. Now, something as robust as Atlassian, you know, that can be a very difficult tool to map out for instance, 
the leading agile governance model. Uh, right. It could be a difficult tool to map out safe, right? Um, and in, unless you know what plugins and and uh, what configuration, you could find yourself in a big hole. Well, so <laughs> um, that and that happens. Not all, being able to find anything. I mm-hmm. get questions about that all the time. Like, how do I do this in Jira? How do I do that in Jira? And it's it always seems to me like most of the folks that I meet, which are not going to be interacting with this stuff at the level of the people that you're talking to, but it's like somebody just installed it out of the box and assumed it was going to work and be and they were going to be agile because they put Jira in their system or whatever tool, yeah. whatever, version one or whatever. Um, and I think to me that seems like a maturation in the space that's occurred over the last maybe year or two where people are starting to understand you can't just install it and it's going to work. You've got to teach it how to work with however you work, which means you have to understand how you work first. Yeah. It's interesting because Jira is a different beast than the rest of the tool and for reasons that I absolutely love. So think about your iPhone. You get your iPhone, even your Android, any of your cell phones. Would you not add any apps? Would you just use it out of the box? Your phone is a platform, right? That a lot of different products can plug into. If you just want to have just one team that's doing the Atlassian thing, that can work if you want to have a few teams working in there. But if you really want to have a organizational approach that's consistent with the leading agile model, you're going to need some plugins. And I'd say for the reporting, um, you're going to need some plugins too, because it's not straightforward just with the JQL reports that uh, Atlassian comes with. There's plugins that can make those reports more robust where you can add things and just have those show up in your uh, query. Okay. So, well, let's yep. so separate it from the leading agile model for a second. Any model at all, if the company can understand how they actually work, and then they bring the tool in, the tools can be configured to map out how they work. I mean, that to me, that's always been one of my arguments against tools, and why I always fight for post-its is, if you learn how to work with post-its, you develop your own habits. If you just buy a tool, you develop the tool's habits. Yeah. So I I love that you said that because you should not be planning the way that you work and you should not be defining your process around a tool. The tool should be defined around how you work and what your process is. And it should be defined in a flexible enough way where you can actually do that in creating your own habits, right? So one of the things with Leading Agile um, that I like to do initially because sometimes it's a little bit difficult to um, start working in this new way. So I like to build the tool in a way that's going to coach them as they're going along. So, you know, having those points where, oh, you can't move forward until you do this, or on a risk assessment, um, having the information about what the scores mean. um, If you're evaluating a certain risk, having that right there. Um, So this way they don't have to go figure out where the PowerPoint is stored. It's right there in the tool to tell them how to do it. Well, and, um, they, and it can so, evolve with them, right? Like, let's say they don't have exactly. a definition of ready in the beginning, and they realize they need one, then that can be built in or added in. Right. Okay. Exactly. Every tool has its own way to really be customized and also be flexible at the same time. Okay. And so do you think, to me, and, and I might be naive in this, but it seems like this is something that I know that we've been working on developing this practice for a while, but... In terms of general awareness across the space, you know, this is something that is still emerging, right? People are 
becoming more aware that these tools can be made to work with them instead of them working with the tool. Is that fair or am I just not understanding the space? No, that's absolutely fair. I think that the more people who can understand that, it will, I know some people say uh, those tools are the devil and at the team level, they want to get people using the post-its and everything, but we have to look at the bigger picture and you know what's actually funding what we're doing and how are we getting that information to the funders of it. Now, yeah. if it's acceptable enough for them to walk around and look at your boards and see what's going on and be able to visually map that to their strategy, okay, I don't want you to change that. If you don't have a problem, don't try to solve it in something that doesn't exist. But who I'm talking to now are the organizations that clearly have a problem. Well, and they need more financial visibility and they need more awareness of all the other things. I think I'm really glad that we talked about this because one of the things that I I have said many times in class, people say, can we talk about tools? My response is always, all the tools suck. And and then I explain why, which is because people work with the tool and they don't develop their own habits. But I did have a class where a guy just tweeted out, all the tools suck, Dave Pryor. I was like, that's awesome, thanks. Um, so but, but it's not that the tools, it. well, that, that's what I'm, yeah. I've learned from this conversation is that it's not that the tools are good or bad. It's not even, it's just that people, they're not using them right. They don't, they don't take the time to figure out, oh, we have to map in our own workflow or wherever we want to get to and let the tool help us. Well, Dave, there's more to it because their current configuration typically does suck, right? And then we have people who are um, hired, right, to configure these, to actually manage these tools, uh, their yeah. system admins, who don't necessarily understand Agile or the problem that Leading Agile is trying to solve. So that's where we come in. So this way we can help them understand the Agile, right? Under, help them understand the problem that we're trying to solve and help coach them in the way to solve it. Because if we just say, hey, we need you to do these things um, and we don't understand how the tool works, we may not get the best solution to our problem. So I'm going to, I might be dating myself, but when I used to do uh, consulting work, I worked for a, a Microsoft consulting shop and we would have guys come in who understood these Microsoft tools front to back and can you make it do this? Can you make it do that? And they were supposed to be experts in configuring it. But like you were just saying, people, you know, might not, the people doing that might not understand Agile. These guys never understood anything beyond what the tools basic capabilities were. It wasn't like, let's evolve the company, let's help the company grow. So that's also a pretty significant shift. Right? Yeah. It's, it's and not just a mechanic, it's it's helping the company evolve into a better state. Right. And not only that, the from when we first start a pilot, we'll configure a tool so this way they can get started. The goal is that if in five years your tool is configured the same exact way, it might work for you, but you're naturally going to evolve. There's things that are going to happen within your organization where your tools does your tools need to be updated. You know, every single month we have different updates from all these tools, right? They're adding new features, they're adding new things. And in order to maximize your return on investment on those tools, you need to understand how those features work and how they can best be used in your organization. So this is awesome. So I, I always enjoy doing the podcast with you and, and with everybody, but I, I can't, it doesn't often happen that something occurs where I'm like, holy crap, that just totally changed the way I think about something. So I'm, thank you. Well, <laughs> You've converted, me, I am no longer you, going to say the tools suck because I, I see I it in a different way. I think you should say now. this though. 
the well, way your tool can is configured probably does suck. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it sounds like you know, when you were just explaining the thing, I'm thinking like it would be like buying a pair of sneakers for a five-year-old and expecting them to still fit when they're 12. It just mm-hmm. They outgrow the way the thing is configured, and you've got to get it updated to meet their needs now. And same way, thinking that every single five-year-old is going to fit in those shoes. Yeah. Brilliant. That's awesome. Wow. Cool. All right. So I'm going to end it there because it's going really well and I don't want to mess it up. If people want to get in touch with you and find out more about this, what's the best way to do it? Uh, Twitter, the Jessica Wolf, T-H-E, Jessica Wolf. Okay. With an E. And um, Jessica.Wolf, W-O-L-F-E, at LeadingAgile.com. Cool. And I'll make sure to include links to that. Thank you very much. This was a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time out. Thanks.